0: Welcome to the January 16th, 2022 OA Rise Speaker Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. <clears throat> My name is Jan. I'm a compulsive overeater and your host for this meeting. Uh, OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspire Shared Experience. Oh, I have a big face. I don't like that. <clears throat> Experience recovery inspires shared experiences and we are glad that you are all here. OA Rise, as with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this happen. On occasion there are glitches in the online meetings that cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best so we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we would be happy to hear from you if you ha- would like to provide us with kind and constructive feedback leave information in the chat. Thank you for your support. Would all those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, God, let me the serenity serenity to accept accept the things things I cannot cannot change, change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference unity with diversity policy as we extend the heart and hand of the OA fellowship to those who still suffer. Let us be mindful of OA's unity and diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you're welcome at this meeting. Can I please have Janet read the OA preamble? Been unmuted, Janet.
1: I know, but I, I thought somebody was going to screen share it. Oh,
0: that's right. Sorry.
1: Oh, that's Honey's okay. Working on
0: it. Connie's working
2: on it. Great,
1: thank you. Over Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. We are not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer.
0: Thank you. This is a speaker meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an audio-only recording can be posted on oarise.org on their website. Should there be a Q&A in this meeting and you have a question for the speaker but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read your question for you. Here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat feature is currently turned off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Please note that speakers are only listed as co-hosts so that they have ease of access to use the Zoom features. They will not be able to respond to questions in the chat. So if you have any questions or concerns during the meeting, Please ensure you communicate with the tech co-hosts only. You can change your name as it appears on Zoom. To do this, click on the Participants tab at the bottom of your screen or wherever it may appear. Um, And a list of attendees will open in the window pane, in a new window pane. Select your own name, click on the tab that says More and choose Rename. If you are willing, please add your geographical location after your name so that we can see where everyone is from. Out of cur- courtesy to the other attendees and the speakers, speaker, if you get up and move around during the meeting, please, if you need to eat, check your phone or talk to someone who is in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so their actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we'll be happy to turn it back on when you're ready. Just send a message in chat to any co-host and they will enable your video again. Please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. We will take a five minute break at the end of the first and the second hour. And finally, just a reminder here that the the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members who do not represent OA
2: as a whole. Could I please have Steve read the 12 steps?
3: Okay. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had armed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except for him to do so, would injure them or others. Nine, a ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our fears.
0: Thank you, Steve.
2: Could I please have Maggie read the 12 traditions?
4: Hi, this is Maggie, compulsive overeater, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. 11 our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press radio film films television and other public media of communication 12 anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities thank you thank you
0: the seventh tradition According to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OARISE website, which includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made to PayPal, uh, made by PayPal to our email address, info at OARISE.org or you can visit visit our website at oarise.org and click the Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 will allow the OARISE speaker meeting to continue. And just a note, some people are finding that on the OARISE website, the Contribute Now button is, you can't read the words, but it's the black bar that's right below, below the information um so if you have problems with that just know that it is there you just can't read the writing because I, I guess it's there in black text it is now my great pleasure to introduce our speaker for today patrick who will be sharing on today's topic vital spir- spiritual experience all caps in experience welcome patrick you muted
5: hello my name is Patrick and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I just want to uh, first thank um, the, uh, the, thank everyone for the invitation to speak today. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to uh, share my experience, strength and hope um, in this fellowship. And um, I'm always just very grateful to be able to, to, um, to participate um, OA saved my life. I'm a guy who uh, was sitting in the rooms of another 12-step fellowship for 11 years. Um, and at 11 years uh, in that fellowship, I was um, 400 pounds and dying of type 2 diabetes. And, and I would have reported to you that I was um, living a spiritual life and I was doing anything but and a responsible, recovered member of um, Overeaters Anonymous 12-stepped me at the International AA Convention in Atlanta in 2015 and saved my life. Um, what the, the, the physical result of what, what's occurred for me in Overeaters Anonymous is I've lost 175 pounds. And I, I sent a couple of photographs. You guys can put those up if you want at any point just to show them the contrast. Uh, there's there's two two photographs if you you can put them up side by side or one at a time. Um, But um, so I don't take this responsibility lightly in any way. Um, I believe that we have a fatal disease and in the um, I was reading the the third edition of the Overeaters Anonymous Brown book this morning just because I like to do that occasionally and in on page one of our invitation to you um, I'm just going to read a little bit of this because it, it sort of gets me in the, in the, in the, in the rhythm of, that's obviously the, the now photograph. Um, that's the after picture. Um, and there should be a before there somewhere um, where I was, and this is the, we, we, we actually went back to this same spot where the original photograph was taken when, when I'm at my heaviest. Um, our invitation to you. We of Overeaters Anonymous have made a discovery. At the very first meeting we attended, we learned that we were in the clutches of a dangerous illness and that willpower, emotional health, and self-confidence, which some of us had once possessed, were no defense against it. And that's why I um, I wanted to talk about a vital spiritual experience because the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about that what's necessary in order to recover. Uh, I wish it was just as simple as putting down the food. Um, if, if it was just as simple of putting down the food, I you'd have a different speaker today because I would have put down the food. But I what I didn't understand is that I had the same, um, I had the same allergy to certain ingredients and in certain foods as I did to alcohol. Um, and so, um, I needed, um, I needed the same sort of experience hitting a bottom, having phys- you know, being near death. I, I was suffering from type two diabetes. My blood sugars were regularly, th- um, showing in the four hundreds. Um, and I had put on 150 pounds after having a triple bypass in year five of my recovery from alcoholism in AA. So in the ensuing six years from the fifth year of my sobriety to the 11th year of my sobriety, I gained 150 pounds after a triple bypass on my heart. I don't know any cardiologists that would recommend that as a recovery process from from heart surgery. And, And what I can report to you is that I remember very clearly after that heart surgery thinking, well, I can pretty much eat whatever I want now because I've got sort of a clean slate. I had nearly drank myself to death at age 44. And so now at age 49, having had this surgery, I thought, well, I guess I'm good. I, you know, I'm, I can pretty much eat whatever I want. And I did. And the results were the full allergy to sugar, the full allergy to other ingredients uh, in some foods, and the full compulsion kicked in. And I, as when I came to to uh, to Overeaters Anonymous, I did a food, you know, I I did a series of questions uh, around step one, and one of the things I did was look back at my behavior with food my whole life. Um, And I, I wasn't morbidly obese when I was a kid, but I was a husky kid. You know, we had to buy husky pants. I was always a little bit overweight. I wasn't morbidly obese, but I was big. For my always big for my age, always overweight for my age, and I always had just a a massive affinity for sweets and sugar. Um, I'm the kid who, at three or four years old, and I know this is when my addiction began. Was was when I was as young, or three or four years old, because I would. I would climb to the very top cupboard in my mother's kitchen and mind you, that was a high cupboard. I would put a chair, I'd get a a crate, a wooden crate, put it on top of the chair. I'd put a pot on top of that, a tall soup pot that my mother had. And I'd climb up on that and wiggle while I was grabbing the chocolate chips out of the top cupboard and I'd eat the whole bag. And you know, people assigned it to me just being a mischievous kid. I would propose to you now with reflection and with the information that you have all provided me about the nature of my illness that I was under the lashes of, a, of, a, of the, the, the physical allergy already. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the problem that I have and that I had when I was in, in the other fellowship was that I had an opinion about an experience I hadn't had yet. That's my most highly refined skill as an addict. I will report to you that something isn't possible having never tried it. See, and that's, that's what was literally killing me because people had mentioned to me and I had gone to a few traditional uh, OA meetings in my area and, and um, you know, five or six years before I really committed to, to Overeaters Anonymous, in 2015, I'd, I'd done what I like to call drive-bys. Um, you know, I'd go sit in a meeting and I'd listen and then people would would leave and, and they'd say, hey, let's go, let's go get a bite to eat at a restaurant, not knowing that those folks could do that. They could put together their own food plan. I'm a guy who needs a very strict um, food plan. I need to have a nutritionist. I weigh and measure. I'm not saying anybody else has got to do that. That's just what I need to do. I have a very strict set of parameters around around my, um, my daily food intake because that's what I need. Uh, the result of that has been that I've lost 175 pounds. My type two is in full remission, uh, although I have some permanent damage. Um, I have chronic neuropathy in all of my extremities and I've lost toes. Um, I've lost f- uh, both the big toe and the second toe on both my feet and my feet are severely mangled. Um, I've had seven surgeries on on my feet combined. I'm able to walk, I'm able to to get around, but needless to say, I've suffered some some serious indignity. And to just show you the power of the disease and the need for this vital spiritual experience that I'm gonna talk about here in in a little bit, um, I relapsed on food in the hospital having toes removed as a result of my disease. On page 24 of the of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, in the italics, there's there's a quote there that that describes that situation pretty well. It says, "The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, in certain times, to bring into our consciousness, with sufficient force, the memory of the suffering or humiliation of a week or a month ago." I'd been abstinent for about a year, a year and a half at that point when I was in the hospital having surgery on my feet. And I couldn't remember the misery of, of, of that. And, and I was suffering amputation of a body part as a result of compulsive overeating. And the thought never crossed my mind that maybe I shouldn't do it. Uh, and here, here, here's what it says. Uh, we are without defense against the first drink. In my case, I was out. I was without defense, laying in the hospital. I was without defense against the first bite because I hadn't really committed myself to the spiritual aspects of the of the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I was pretty fortunate when I came into my other fellowship. The obsession had been removed. I had a, a spiritual experience. I I dove right in, I started doing a lot of work. I really did. Um, I was sponsoring a lot of men, but I developed what I like to call a recovery ego. Um, I was showing up and doing everything we were supposed to do. I was looking really good and I'm a guy that can memorize the big book. I can memorize the OA literature. I can sound really good from a podium or on a Zoom call. I can talk, I'm verbose. I've, I've been given some communication skills but I can also look you right in the eye and lie. I can absolutely do all the looking good while not being good. It, you know, the big book in, uh, somewhere in here, it says, uh, you know, we alcoholics lead a double life or we compulsive overeaters lead a double life. That was certainly me. I was showing up and looking good, but the back of the house, my my fidelity to the practicing of the principles of the 12 steps didn't exist. And it was reported to me uh, by my first OA sponsor that if I was going to enter into a relationship with God, one of the things I would need to do is display some fidelity to that relationship. I didn't get to cheat. You know, if you're in a marriage or a relationship with someone that you claim to love and that who claims to love you, the expectation, unless it's, you know, agreed on beforehand, I guess, is that there's some fidelity there. Well, I wasn't given the program any fidelity. I was telling you to do things that I wouldn't do myself, particularly as it relates to um, steps 10, 11, and 12, the repetition of the first nine steps. Um, and, you know, daily inventory, uh, pass, hard pass, prayer and meditation. Yeah, I, I don't mind saying some prayers, but that meditation, that's for the Buddhists, right? I, I mean, that, that was my attitude. And it nearly killed me. So what was killing me wasn't actually the food. It was an opinion about an experience I hadn't had yet. Is it possible you're
2: in more trouble than you think you are? That's
5: what was proposed to me. Um, And so. That's why the theme of my talk today is a vital spiritual experience, because in the book, um, at the end of the chapter, in in, in um, yeah, I mean, it's all over this thing, but um, at the end of the chapter, more about alcoholism on page 43, it says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, in our case, the first bite. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So I need a relationship with this power greater than myself. Now, the good news about that power greater than yourself is, is in We Agnostics, the the chapter that commences right after this page, it says... um, very, very, um, very clearly, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. Um, and then on page 46, it says, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another, another's conception of God, our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach into effect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of to things, We began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. That's that fidelity. Provided I'm willing to work all of these steps, right, I can have this spiritual experience sufficient to remove the obsession to overeat and to allow me to live a life with some dignity and some commitment and some purpose and some meaningful existence. Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to just not eat. You know, one of the things that I see in 12-step in fellowships a lot is people living sort of a low-level uh, migraine kind of a, of, a, of a recovery. In other words, they're they're I guess the best way to describe them is you're restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm not overeating. Right. You know, I haven't overeaten today. Well, how are you showing up at work? How are you showing up at home? How are you showing up in your relationships? What's your financial life look like? What's your employment history look like, right? What, how are, how are you actually operating in the world? Because to the best of my ability to understand 12-step recovery, it's setting me up to go out in the world and be of maximum service to God and my fellows. And my fellows aren't just people in 12-step recovery fellowship, my fellows are the human race. Society in general. What am I doing there? So, um, page twenty-five, and there is a solution right after that. That italics part that I wrote about, that I read about. We are without defense first. uh, We are without defense against the first bite. The great fact is just this: on page twenty-five, and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Which have revolutionized our whole a- attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. The fact that I'm on this call with all of you today is, in fact, miraculous. I have, there's no earthly, logical, linear reason you can give me why I'm still alive today after what I've done to myself with alcohol and food. I've had a triple bypass. I've had seven surgeries on my feet. I've had life-threatening infections in my leg, my my right leg. There was a point where they thought they were gonna have to take my right leg from from above the knee because of the infections that I got in my feet as a result of the neuropathy from the type 2 that I had when I was a compulsive overeater. I don't have a food problem. I have a a spiritual problem that I attempt to solve with food. My problem's in the mirror every morning. And that's why I need a vital spiritual experience. And I need to be healthy enough in mind, body, and spirit in order to do that. So I have to remove the food, right? Now, it turns out that if I don't eat, bad stuff happens too. I can't starve myself to death. So what do I need? Well, I need real hard parameters. I'm a member of OA How. I'm not recommending that for anyone else. I'm just sharing with you my experience. I belong to a very disciplined and committed approach to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I have a nutritionist, I have a food plan. Um, I report my food to my sponsor every morning at 5:45 along with an assignment and my daily tenth, my daily uh, 10 and 11, 10th and 11th step. I repeat that discipline seven days a week, 365 days a year without fail. And the results speak for themselves. For the first time in my life, at age 62, I can report to you that as an 18-year member of 12-step fellowships, I feel like for the first time in my life, mind, body, and spirit are all aligned, and they're all going in the same direction, and that I have meaningful, purposeful living happening, And, and for the most part, in spite of what my family might report to you, there's a level of sanity that exists. Now my family might report to you something different, but I get to participate in that family. Now, I also believe that that entire 11 year uh, experience that I had in my other fellowship and continue to have um, was necessary. It's what was needed for me um, to get to OA. And I'm still a very active, engaged member in that fellowship. I am a member of two 12step fellowships, and I am actively engaged in both. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate um, that I had that, that sort of baseline. So when you when you introduced me to the idea that the 12 steps could help me with my compulsive overeating, I didn't have that resistance. I thought, well, it did it did the trick with me in drinking. Um, maybe this will help. Um, so I, I was I was grateful for for and I am I remain grateful for my for my fellowship. Um, but I needed all of you in Overeaters Anonymous, and I needed the literature of Overeaters Anonymous to have yet another vital spiritual experience in order to have this obsession removed, because it was clear that I was that I was in trouble, right? I mean, it, it, it wasn't just the numbers on the scale. My behavior was, was not good. Um, I was very dishonest. I was missing work constantly. Uh, I would call in sick so I could just binge eat and watch TV all day. Um, I was very dishonest with money. I was very dishonest in my relationships. Um, I, was, I was, you know, going, I was sponsoring men in my other fellowship and telling them to do things that I wasn't doing. So I was living a lie um, until I found you guys. And little by slowly, one day at a time, um, with the help of, of some responsible recovered members of Overeaters Anonymous, I found my way to this vital spiritual experience. And I found my way to this Meaningful relationship with God. And I found my way to this disciplined, committed, effortful practice that I employ on a daily basis. And, you know, those words I just said, if you tell me five years ago those are going to start falling out of my mouth because I actually enjoy them, I'm going to tell you it's not possible. Because if you tell me I need to be disciplined, effortful, committed, responsible, all of those, I, you know, those are antithetical to me. I, you know, I'm a guy that's been cutting corners since day one in life. I'm also a guy who has been utterly and completely convinced from the beginning of my life that I had to change how I experienced life on a daily basis. For whatever reason, I always thought that the way I was experiencing life was a little more punitive than everybody else. And, and I, wanna, I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to change that. I've always thought that I had to change my current experience. And the way I could do that when I was real young was with food. I could change how I felt. And then I discovered alcohol at 13 years old and food kind of took a, a, I like to say it, it jumped from the driver's seat into the passenger seat. It stayed there, it stayed in the car, and I would, I drank every day and I overate every day. But the drinking seemed to keep the overeating sort of in check. I didn't get morbidly obese, really morbidly obese until um, I, I, I got sober, which is still odd to me, by the way. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um,
2: so, I um my experience is that I needed
5: an explanation of how to develop and maintain a relationship with God in in my in my life not just as it applied to thank you Jan not just as it applied to
2: um alcohol.
5: I needed it for my life, not just as it applied to alcohol or food. I wasn't here because alcohol or food is my problem. I am the problem. Restless, irritable, and discontent is the problem. The problem is described on page 52 of the big book in We Agnostics, where it says, um, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems, the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. I'd always had trouble with personal relationships. I couldn't, we couldn't control our emotional natures. That was pretty clear with me. I was a pretty rageful guy. Um, I I would be just morbidly um, depressed at times we were prey to misery and depression we couldn't make a living we had a feeling of uselessness we were full of fear i was experiencing all of that and i couldn't remember a time in my life when i when i when i wasn't experiencing that and the only relief i ever had ever found was through food or other means i'll stay within the traditions here and talk about my experience with compulsive overeating to the best of my ability, I'll stay within the traditions. I know I, I wiggle some because I am a member of two fellowships, and it I'm still still trying to develop the skill set to really be respectful of the traditions of Overeaters Anonymous without sharing too much about my other um, addiction. Um, so that's really sort of how I arrived here. Um, I arrived here dying. Of compulsive overeating, um, severely diabetic, um, in 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 danger of losing limbs, um, which I'm grateful to say that you know having lost four toes is four more things than I wanted to lose. But that being said, I still got my legs and I can still walk. And I went on a I went on a, a on a hike this morning uh, out in the cold. Um, I walked about a mile and a half. I've got good boots, I've got good inserts for my shoes. I'm able to ambulate. I'm at a, at a very um, healthy and, and reasonable weight, um, down 175 pounds. Um, you know, and my type 2 is in full remission, I no longer need medication for it. That's a wholesale miracle. And if you report that to me, that that's the condition I'll find myself in um, six years after I come to Overeaters Anonymous, I don't believe you. Because, again, my most highly refined skill as an addict is to give you an opinion about an experience I haven't had yet.
2: I'm not willing to try. Right?
5: I'm not willing to try. But I'll report to you that it won't work. And I'm grateful that I had people in my life in my fellowship who looked at me and said, that's just flat, arrogant. And they weren't concerned about how that made me feel. I had a sponsor in OA, or not a sponsor, but a mentor in OA early on that said that that said to me, she, she was she's a little spitfire. She's about. First of all, she's older. She was in her 70s. Then. She's in her 80s now. But she was in her late 70s when, when we first encountered each other. And she said, Patrick, there's something you need to know about me. At my age, I really don't care what you think about what I'm about to say to you. I'm just going to it, say it to you because I think I'm free enough to do that. And, and so she had the gift of, of just age. And she had the gift of years and years of experience. And what she said to me is, Patrick, I'd just as soon piss you off as bury it again let me repeat that she said to me I would just as soon offend you as bury you because if I offend you you might actually think about what I have to say and not who said it and I get that the message that can come out of my mouth sometimes can come with a little force and a little passion and I can get that it can be a little bit bristly I understand that but I would encourage you to look at what's being disturbed, not who's doing it. Don't make it personal. Look at what's being disturbed, look inward. Because our problem exists on the inside, not on the out. It manifests on the outside with weight or, or, or anorexia or bulimia. It manifests, manifests in a physical way. But our problem is spiritual in nature and it's all over the big book. And that's why I need to have this vital spiritual experience. Um,
2: How am I doing on time? You've actually, I actually stopped you,
0: showed you time sooner than I should. So you got about five more minutes.
5: Okay. So we stop at about 3.50 for a break. Unless okay. you
0: want Q&A and then we can stop sooner.
5: Well, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, yeah, we we can, we can, we can do a little Q&A after this. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. I think that's really sort of, um, that sort of does conclude the first portion of it, how I arrived in OA, the condition I was in when I was in, o, when I arrived in OA um, and, 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 you know, just an example of some of the recovery. I'm going to delve more into the second hour into the actual experience with the steps that I had, um, and I'll go through to, to the best of my ability. I'll get I'll get through a, a brief description of all twelve. Um, I think that's important for people. I don't know if there's any new folks on here or anybody that's struggling. Um, I, I I I encourage uh, Jan or whoever to share all of my contact information via. Via the chat, via whatever you want. Um, you can put my phone number up there. You can put my uh, you can put my email up there. Anybody that wants to contact me after this talk is done, I'm happy. Always happy to answer questions. Um, you know, if if you're new here, I want I want I want to uh, I want to report to you that there's something called permanent recovery available to you, and it comes right out of the uh, the Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And it's in the first paragraph of step 10. It says, many of us have come to Overeaters Anonymous after years of pursuing short-term solutions to our long-term problem of compulsive eating. One aspect of this program that keeps us here is the promise of permanent recovery from this baffling malady. Permanent recovery. You know, there's this myth that'll go around 12-step fellowships that relapse is part of recovery. And I wanna call BS on that because it's not part of recovery. It's a, it's a symptom of the disease, and I don't beat anybody up for having experienced it. I just described to you experiencing relapse in a hospital. So I'm not beating anybody up, but I'm not going to sign off on the fact that relapse is a part of recovery. It might be part of your journey. It might be part of your story. But it's a symptom of the disease, and it would indicate that there's something wrong spiritually. Because what the, what, the, what the OA literature is reporting to me in step 10 is that something called permanent recovery is available. And in the forward of the second edition of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about the same thing, permanent sobriety. And in, in, in Dr. Bob's story, from the time he completed his amends, he never drank again until the time of his death, and he helped 5,000 people in between. So this idea that, 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 that this myth that can go around, this oral tradition, this treatment-based stuff that can go around in 12-step fellowships that relapse is a part of recovery. I'm not signing off on it, and I'll challenge anybody on it. It is a symptom of the disease, and it's real, and I've experienced it. So I don't beat anybody up for having experienced it, but what I needed to do is look at whether I was in fit spiritual condition when that occurred, and I wasn't I hadn't completed the steps I wasn't doing the work I needed to do. I wasn't fully committed. And sometimes relapse is needed for me to really be convinced of step one, because any resistance you experience to any of the other 11 steps in this program is directly related to whether you believe you are utterly powerless and unmanageable, period. If you believe you can control what you eat and when you eat it and how much you eat, you're not going to have a vital spiritual experience. You won't submit. I had to convince myself that I was utterly and completely helpless in the face of food. And that my life was unmanageable. And the most unmanageable thing that I, that, that I experience is the idea that I can manage my food. Let me say it again. The most unmanageable thought that I have is the idea that I can manage my food. Somebody else needs to be in charge of my food. My nutritionist, my sponsor, anybody but me. One aspect of this program that keeps us here is the promise of permanent recovery from this baffling malady. But what in the world, what in this world is truly permanent? We read on page 204 of our For Today book repetition is the only form of permanence that nature can achieve. If we are to experience permanent recovery from compulsive eating, we will have to repeat day after day the actions that have already brought us so much healing, which means because they're describing it in step 10 of this text repeating the first nine. I think I'll end there for now. If anybody's got any questions, I'm happy to, to answer them for this first hour. And, and then we'll get, into, uh, we'll get into my walk through the work in, in Overeaters Anonymous in the second hour. Any questions?
0: So can we get people to raise their hands if they have questions so that we can spot you easier to, uh, more easily to
2: have you speak? Sherry has her hand up. You,
6: yeah. you. Um, hi Patrick, thank you so much. I wanted to ask you about when you said that you needed to convince yourself that you are hopelessly powerless, I can't remember the words, but I just remember the convince yourself. Um, do you remember how you did that?
5: Yeah, I binged on cashews in a hospital when they were about to remove a piece of my body from the effects of compulsive overeating.
6: That's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay my, and so there was
5: upon review the next day yeah because it i was, was supposed very to be, clear i was supposed to be fasting before the surgery right yeah and they had to postpone the surgery a day and uh, they were okay. about, they almost kicked me out of the hospital right because of i had been you know quote unquote non-compliant
6: so it wasn't like you weren't you had to actually convince yourself it was it was proven to you
5: yeah
6: yeah. and okay all right that's awesome thank you so much i'm sorry that happened but thank you
5: well it's it it got me here Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. anybody else don't be shy and by the way it doesn't have to be a question if you just got something you want to share that's fine too And um, Patrick, I also found a way to put your
6: pictures side by side. I could quickly share those now if you like as well. Yeah,
5: go ahead. Put them up. I, I think the contrast is is pretty cool. There it is. Yeah. So you can see the the, the picture on screen left is um, that's me in 2015 at the International um, AA convention. At this point, I can walk about 500 feet at a time. Uh, I'll describe how I got 12 steps by an OA member at that at that convention. That OA member happens to be in that photograph. And these two individuals have both given me their permission to be in, this, in these photographs. So I'm not busting anybody's anonymity here. Um, and this is that the other photograph is when I went back to Atlanta to visit them because uh, they're good friends um, um, about four years later. And you can see the, the effects of a disciplined, committed program in alcoholics or in uh, overeaters anonymous, mm-hmm. undisciplined on the left, disciplined on the right. I think the results speak for themselves. Thank you for that. Okay. If there's no other questions or comments, I guess we can we can take the break and be back at.
2: So it
0: according to my watch, it's ten to the hour. So. Um, if we want to take 10
2: minutes, we can come back exactly on the hour, please. Okay. Are we good? Okay. Um,
5: Patrick, Compulsive O Reader, welcome back. So the um, the walk through the steps this relationship with God, this, um, you know, this, this idea that I need to live a spiritually based life in order to not compulsively overeat. Um, what, you know, what exactly is that about? Um, you know, I thought I had that covered in my other fellowship. I thought I'd done a pretty good job with that. I I had a you know i prayed and and i did inventory and i knew i was selfish and i knew i was dishonest and i was trying to be helpful to other people um, what i really neglected was a, was a was a was a was a was a real practice in steps 10 11 and 12 and i'll get to that but it meant that i would have to revisit one through nine Um, And I did that through um, this because it was specific to Overeaters Anonymous. I used this um, to do my work in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I'm also a member of HOW, which has sort of an onboarding process And then I went through the, so my initial trip was through the big book in Overeaters Anonymous, but then I really wanted to do sort of a deep dive into Overeaters Anonymous 12 steps. And I used that workbook and that's when things started to come alive for me, um, a little more, uh, as far as this fellowship goes and my relationship to God, because one of the things that I realized, uh, pretty early on my, like my, my. So I've had a couple of stints of absence. My current abstinence date is August 26th of 2020. Um, I had a a procedural slip. Uh, It wasn't a food binge. My previous slip had been a food binge. The one in the hospital that I described, I had had a procedural slip because Hal's very rigid and disciplined. Um, I'd had a procedural slip, so I just reset my but my uh, back-to-back black and white abstinence date in a no way how. Um, that's something that a lot of people have given me some interesting feedback on in traditional circles. Um, it's just the way we do things over there. And honestly, time doesn't have a damn thing to do with your, with your current spiritual condition. Um, people that are relying upon time as an indicator of uh, recovery, you're in trouble because um, time is the enemy of any uh, member, And I'm not saying we shouldn't honor time. And I sh- I'm not saying that we shouldn't let new people know that time um, can happen. What I'm saying is, is that if you um, think that your distance from your last compulsive overeating binge um, is an indicator of recovery, you're mistaken. Um and all of the literature backs that up. That's not coming out of me. That's coming from our literature. Um, I can. Uh, so I use the workbook. And what I needed to get real clear on was first, for my first step experience, was that physical allergy that there are just certain foods I can't consume or it's going to trigger the allergy. And I'm going to want more and I got pretty clear on that and then it came to this higher power thing and I was raised I was a theologically abused kid I was a kid who was raised in a in a very strict uh, religious way um, and very condemning and, and sort of not useful um, and I had thought that I had set some of those resentments aside but the truth is is what I had I had de- I had dealt with the individual resentments but I hadn't really come to a, um, a personal idea or a personal version of a power greater than myself. I just sort of used a, a general thing and, and my, my sponsor, my OA sponsor said to me something interesting. She said, well, Patrick, you know, your current condition would indicate that that might need to change, you might need to come up with a real, uh, it it might need to expand a little bit, maybe your higher power needs to get a little bigger. Um, And and I, well, you know, I I turned my life and my will over to the care of my higher power, my higher power is clearly not taking care of me. Um, And she looked at me, and she, she started laughing. And then I had sort of, so you know, we worked on my, my conception of a power greater than myself. I came up with five attributes that that um, power would have in my life. Uh, their, uh, love, compassion, um, understanding, power, um, and wisdom. And she said, okay, why don't you start living your life? Like that's true. And that really caught me off guard. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, no, you, if, if you want to believe that, that there is this power greater than yourself in the world, you might need to start living that way. Actually applying the principles of your higher power in your life on a daily basis. In other words, if you believe it should be loving and compassionate, you need to display loving compassion to everyone you encounter. Whoa, wait a minute. That's a little more than I signed up for. I just wanted to quit eating. Um, but she she said, Well, we're here to build experience, not opinion. Hence the, the title of my talk today a vital spiritual experience. Right? This isn't about how I feel. It's about what am I currently experiencing with God? And how am I showing up in life? Where am I being helpful? Instead of helpless, where am I being selfless? Instead of selfish, where am I being honest instead of dishonest? Where am I displaying courage in spite of fear? Right? Because this idea that that all fear is going to be removed, and I'm gonna there's somebody in the waiting room. Just heads up. Um, um, where where am I going to be in this in this idea that that you know? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to live a life without fear, so I need to display courage. It, you know, I, 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 People will often say, and I've heard this question asked in 12-step rooms a lot, you know, what's the opposite of faith? What's the opposite of fear? And people will say faith, and I say BS, because I can sit on a couch and tell you I got all the faith in the world and not take action. Action requires courage. The opposite of fear is courage. Now, I might need some faith to build courage. It might be an ingredient, but I need to take the actions and face myself as I am. Maybe if my food plan isn't working, maybe I need to weigh and measure. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case for anybody else. I'm saying that's the case for me. I couldn't do traditional OA where I got to eyeball how much I put on my plate. I need to weigh and measure. I had to turn that over. For me, turning my life and my will over the care of God means weighing and measuring everything that goes in my mouth. That's me. If you're not there, God bless. Sure worked well for me. Um so when it came to step three, after we had come to this conclusion, um, and this is where it gets, this is where it gets pretty interesting. If if you go to how it works in the big book and we start reading about step three
2: Um,
5: on page 60 being convinced we are at step three which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him just what do we mean by that and just what do we do I don't know what it's going to mean for you and I don't know what it means that you might have to do, right? You know, the, the big book asks us, are you willing to go to any length? Well, what does that actually look like in your life? And are you actually willing to do that? Because if what you're currently doing ain't working, maybe more is needed, Right. Uh, The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good, right? And then it goes on to talk about, you know, our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. Then it goes into the, you know, page 62, it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Maybe the decision you've made based on self is that you're not going to follow a food plan or you're, you you do not want that sponsor that that makes you uncomfortable, or you don't wanna be challenged on this, or there's three amends you're not going to do, good luck. Because the disease doesn't give two rips about what you want to do or how you feel about the recovery process. It does one thing well, walk you to death.
2: You know, I see
5: people in 12-step fellowships a lot treating this thing like they have a problem and not a life-threatening disease. I solve problems. I've got a master's in leadership. I do consulting for a living. I solve problems all the time. And I couldn't solve this to save my life, literally. I can look at a a, a dozen different areas of my life and solve problems. Is it possible I'm in more trouble than I think I am? And why do do I keep repeating that phrase? Well, because the big book lays it out for us. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot though he usually doesn't think so. Where are you currently an extreme example of self-will run riot, even though you may not think you are? Are you worshiping time instead of a power greater than yourself? And I'm not saying you have to have a worship practice. I'm just saying are you willing to implement the principles of, of the 12 steps in your life on a daily basis? All 12, not just a few, occasionally. I write 10-step inventory. I write, I write inventory every day. And you know what I get to write a lot when I answer those questions on, um, from step 11? I get to write no when it's was I selfish? No. Was I dishonest? No. Because if you write yes enough, you get a little tired of yourself and you start changing.
2: It's not rocket science.
5: Um, the alcoholic is an extreme example of self run right? Though he usually doesn't think so. And I keep saying alcoholic because I want to be on—I want to honor the literature and, and observe our tradition of not changing the wording of the Big Book. I want to be clear: if you're new here and wondering why I'm reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is OA-approved literature, but—but. But Alcoholics Anonymous asks that the wording not be changed on the meetings. So all you have to do when I say alcohol or alcoholism is substitute food or compulsive overeating. I just wanna be clear about that. We muster, it kills us, God makes us possible. And there often seems no way of getting rid of self without his aid. Well, I thought food was my problem. Now they're telling me selfishness and self-centeredness my problem. I'm an extreme example of self will run out. Wait a minute, I just pound too many cookies.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone. See the book turns, right?
5: The process turns inward, not outward. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, and we are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch with which we passed to freedom. Um, and then it goes into the prayer. One of the things I, I love about the big book is it says. That if the prayer, the these, the thys, the thous I didn't really like the third step prayer when I first came into, into this, because like I said, I had had all this theological exposure to religion, and I was, I was not fond of biblical reference in any way, and the these and the thys and the those kind of pissed me off. And so my sponsor said, well, it says the wording was quite, of, in the paragraph after, that, after the prayer, the wording was quite, of course, quite optional, so long as we express the idea of voicing it without reservation. She asked, she said, okay, write your own third step prayer. Don't make it too wordy. Express the ideas that are expressed in the original, but write your own. And I did. And it works. I still use it. Then it says, and there's, there's a word in here that I like to focus on. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning so there's the word vigorous is only used in two places in the big book and it's in reference to inventory both times. So this idea that I should wait and take your time and boop about it's BS we're killing people with that talk. You should wait until you're six months abstinent to do your four step well what if it kills me in between. There's nothing in any of our literature that says we're supposed to wait. Get to this work as soon as possible. I mean, it's like, you know, I got a, I got a, I got a one pound tumor in the middle of my forehead. The doctor says, we got we to hit it with chemo. We got to do radiation we do surgery, and we got to do surgery. We got to do it all in the next two weeks or you're going to die. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to just see if it reduces itself by, on its own. It's insanity. We have access to an infinite power that can free me from the obsession to overeat and allow me to live a life with dignity and meaningful activity and compassion, service, willingness, love, understanding. And my response to that is, ah, I'm going to wait on that.
2: I would propose to you that that's a first
5: step issue. Somebody's trying, to, you're still trying to manage your life. And here's the interesting thing that I found out about unmanageability. My sponsor let me know, she said, Patrick, your life is not unmanaged. It is unmanageable when you manage it. If you allow this program and the people in it to help you, your life will be managed much better. And guess what? She was right. And yes, I have a woman sponsor. Just, you know, it was that's who was in the room when I came in, was women. That's why I have a woman sponsor. We have very healthy boundaries. I don't, I don't recommend it or not recommend it. I, I know it's it's just different over here in a way, you know. Um, it just is so. If, if you know if if you need a male if you're a male and you need a male that's great um, I don't have issues with that stuff. I sponsor one woman in overeaters anonymous so and I sponsor two men so
3: yeah.
5: so next we launched out on a course of vigorous action the first step of which is a personal house cleaning then it goes through the instructions for step four um, Here's here's the thing about steps four and five that I'll share. I think we make way too big a deal out of these two. Why do I say that? Well, because they're two of 12. And there's this idea that if I get some insight into what my problem is, I'll be able to change. Well, if you could change, what the hell are you doing here? Again, that's a first step issue. Because if I could change, I wouldn't be on a Zoom call for, you know, three hours on a Sunday afternoon while there's playoff football going on. I'll just be honest with you, I wouldn't. But here I am. Why am I here? Well, because I need to be.
2: And I get to be. I really do enjoy
5: doing these things. But I think steps, as it relates to steps four and five, um, I have some things I like to share, they can rattle people's cages a little. I don't really, how do I say this nicely? I guess I can't say it. I don't care if it rattles your cage or not. I I just assume not bury you. And and I think we get some oral traditions going on in our 12-step groups that can be dangerous. And one of them is this idea that in the fourth step, I'm looking for my part. It's not what the book says. What the book says is, I resolutely looked for my own mistakes. I disregard the other person entirely. Now, maybe it's semantics, but I think language is really important. And my part is nowhere in the book as it relates to how I do the last column of an inventory. I have the example of the, four, the three columns. I look at that and then it says, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? So it asks us to look for those four things specifically, nothing else. You don't write out 400, Paragraphs about why or how or what they did and what you did. None of that BS. Where were you selfish? Where were you dishonest? Where were you self seeking and where were you frightened? And that's not punitive. Here's the good news about resolutely looking for your own mistakes. When you see your mistakes, you can correct them. You can get help correcting them. Mistakes are just indicators of a different direction. The problem is, is we assign judgment to it. Shit we're conditioned with when we're kids that, oh, you shouldn't make a mistake. It's bad if you make a mistake. Life's full of mistakes. There aren't, I don't think there are any mistakes really. I think it's a bad way to describe it. I think that I have a delusional idea about the way I need to live based on a set of false belief systems that was jammed into me by society and two well-meaning parents and then in order for me to foster a spiritual
2: life, that's got to go.
5: So a situation had not been entirely our fault. We tried to disregard the other person entirely. And I'm going to, I'm going to get into a description of one resentment here um, that I found very, it, it was just very powerful. And, and it was a fear and a resentment. Um, and it related, it, it did relate to my sex conduct as well, because it, 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 The the human being I'm about to talk to influenced the way I looked at relationships over my life, and I didn't even know that that was happening. I was raised in an alcoholic home and was witness to and victim of things that no child should be witness to or victim of. And you can let your mind run to the darkest corner of existence when I say that. I'm not going to get into the gory details because I've resolved a lot of it. I'd say I've resolved 95% of it. I've done EMDR therapy over the course of my recovery. I've done just a ton of work, just a ton of work. But the first resentment on my inventory, and as as it's been with uh, most of the inventories I've done, and I did a bunch of them in AA, but when I came here, the first name was my father. My father was, was an alcoholic, and he didn't treat me very well. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and when he died at, I was 23 years old, when he died of alcoholism, I was thrilled. I was happy. Good riddance. That's, that was my attitude at the time. Uh, now mind you, I'm a budding, I'm not a budding, I'm a full-blown alcoholic and compulsive overeater at the time. Um, I'm wrapped in self completely, just viciously. So, but, um. You know, I had this vision of my father. Now, my father was 45 years old when I was born. I want I want to be clear about that. So we get to the fourth column, and and um, and my sponsor says, "Well, what you know?" My OA sponsor says to me, "What was your mistake here, Patrick?" And I said, "You know, i still been trying to figure that out. That man was relentlessly cruel to me, and and whatever." And she said, "Well." he was an alcoholic, right? And he said, yeah. And she said, and you're an alcoholic, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, is your mistake just not having compassion for the idea that he was sick? And I, you know, I had prayed for that and, and I would get periods where I would just get this little slice of forgiveness. Right. And then she asked me an interesting question. She said, how old was your father before you were born? I said, 45 years old. She said, hmm, that's interesting. That's kind of, a, that's kind of a, a, a little bit late for a kid to come along. I wonder, I wonder what your dad was like before you were born. And I said, I don't really know. And she said, I need you to go find out. You see, I had a relationship with my father from the time that I could physically remember as a young kid until he passed. That was my experience. But I didn't know the man.
2: So what I did was a deep dive on the kind of man he
5: was. And what I found was a man who was born in the north woods of Minnesota in 1912, who at eight years old, had a mule and two water bags out in the woods, with his, with his father where they were clearing logging roads and doing physical labor. And he'd do, he'd do that all summer and he'd go to school in this one room, little one room. There wasn't even a road into that town then, right? And he'd go out and he'd shoot his own dinner and he had this hard scrabble life, right? And I got these old photographs of him, some of which I had. I never had a photograph on my wall of my father in any place I lived until I did this work in OA with for my father, with my father. And I went back and and I looked, I looked at, at my father's life and 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 I got these photographs of him, you know, holding fish up and he's got this big red dog and he's got this shock of red hair on top of his head. And he's just, you know, and I realized, God, he was a little boy at one time. And then I, I got to understand a little bit about the fact that 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 he went he worked really hard and saved up money so he could go to college and he went to college and he started work and then guess what
2: happened the depression
5: and then guess what happened World War II. and my father became a a, a non uh, he became a Um, a captain, he got a field commission. He became a captain in the United States Army. He got a field commission, which means he didn't go to officer school. He he excelled to the level that they made him a captain of an ammunition dump in North Africa in the fight against Rommel. And he
2: came home from that war scarred in ways that I could never imagine. And he started a family.
5: Now, this is the gift of inventory. This is the gift of someone holding my feet to the fire and resolutely looking at my own mistakes, not my part, but my mistake. And my mistake is I had never taken the time to get to know a man that I had deeply hated most of my life. And it was killing me, not him, because he'd been gone for 30 years. And I was 400 pounds and suffering from type two diabetes and dying in the rooms of another 12 step fellowship because I had a mistaken notion about who he was. Is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? And is it possible that's what's keeping you from true freedom? is an opinion about an experience you haven't had yet. And I get that that's difficult. I get it, it's intended to be. The pathway to freedom is not easy. There is no comfort, there is disturbance, there is uncomfortableness, there is spiritual, there's plenty of love and compassion and people to walk this walk with you. But if you want real freedom from the bondage of self as our big book talks about, then you need to do work. And I've gotten to do that work. And I'm grateful for the men and the and the women in these fellowships who've held my feet to the fire about really looking at my mistakes.
2: I had been dishonest
5: about this. The fact is is I didn't know my father. I had my experience with him, and my experience with him was was, was when he was in the throes of alcoholism, probably as a result of having post-traumatic stress syndrome from war. And he only knew one way to handle a, a, a boisterous, loud-mouthed, rebellious kid. And that was with his hands. He didn't wake up one day and say, I wanna beat this shit out of my fourth kid. That's not the way it went down. That's the way I thought it went down. He was in the throes of his illness. And, and, and because I'd had an experience with that, now I could begin to see. My father was a good,
2: kind, loving man.
5: So what did this result in? Well, I got to, I got to report that in my fifth step. And in step six, There's an instruction in the big book that says, if we still cling to something we won't let go, we ask God to help us be willing, and I prayed every day for a year to be willing to let go of my idea about this man. And I said the seven step prayer on a regular basis, you know there's this idea in in 12 step circles that well there isn't much information in the big book about step six. Everything you need to know is in that one line. If you still cling to something you don't won't let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Go to your higher power. What are you currently clinging to that's keeping you from a real freedom and a and a vital spiritual experience in in this fellowship? What ideas are you clinging to? This line about step five on 75, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist character, every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we are taking this step, withholding nothing, we're delighted, we can look the world in the eye. For the first time in my life, after I fifth stepped that in OA, that deep resentment I'd had against my father, I could look the world in the eye because I wasn't running around condemning a man that had been dead for 30 years. I wasn't blaming someone else for my problems. See, it was this one thing
2: that had prevented me from having
5: the full vital spiritual experience. Now I have to maintain that because I can get back to that. We can be alone at perfect peace and ears, our fears fall from us. We can We began to feel the nearness of our creator. After that, my experience in the fifth step with my sponsor, when she said to me, is it possible you just didn't know who your father was up until you were born, right? And I started doing this work in six and seven because she kept me in six and seven for a minute while I did this work on who he was, right? Then we got to step eight and guess who made the top of the list? Now my father was dead at this point. Like I said, he died when I was 23. I'm, I'm in my 50s when I'm in 08. I'm 57 years old at this point. It's like five years ago. So I, I put him on my list and I want to go do this amend and I, and I come to step nine. Well, how do I do amends with a man I've condemned most of my life who's no longer with us? And my sponsor reports back to me, "Why don't you honor his life by living with some of the values that he he taught you?" Because I have a good work ethic. He gave me really. Both my parents were very intelligent. I inherited a good brain. Right. I because he was a depression era guy, he taught me how to handle money. Right. When I wanted a bike when I was a young kid, he threw me a he threw me an old uh, paper sack. Uh, a newspaper sack, it is a, it's a big canvas sack that you carried newspapers in and went and delivered them. He said, I'll pay for half the bike, you go earn the other half delivering newspapers. Put me to work when I was very young and it, it helped me develop a work ethic and an understanding that you had to earn your way in the world. Even though I still had a vicious and still do have a vicious state sense of entitlement at times, right? So I wrote a letter to my father and I took it out to my, uh, to his headstone. He's he's buried at Fort Snelling, um, Fort Snelling, which is, a, a, a it's for veterans. It's a veterans graveyard and it's a very peaceful place.
2: And I went out there and uh, I had an experience with true forgiveness. And that's all I'll say about it.
5: Um, I go out there to visit him every time I pick up a chip in either one of my fellowships. And I put it on his stone. And I thank him for everything he gave me. And I thank him for the life he gave me because he is part of what gave me life. See, that one thing, that one mistake that I was making about the nature of that man
2: was killing me.
5: Wasn't killing anybody else, he was gone. My father died as a result of his alcoholism. He had a bad car accident because he was intoxicated on a cold winter night here. And in those days, you didn't tell anybody that you were alcoholic when you went to the hospital and he had a grand mal seizure because he was withdrawing. And then, and he was in a persistent vegetative state for six months and I never went to see him. Because like I said, I was happy then. I was happy when he was in that state. And what I didn't realize is the effect that that had on my mother and my sister who were there every night taking care of him. Selfishness, self-centeredness,
2: that we think is the root of our troubles. I was showing up like a donkey,
5: thinking I was doing the right thing because of the way he had treated me. And what the problem was, is that addictive illness was in my family. And meanwhile, I'm eating and drinking. I can't stop overeating, I can't stop drinking. I stopped drinking and I can't stop overeating. All right, this is 11 years sober. I'm having, or 12, 12, 13 years sober in AA, and two years sober, or two years abstinent in OA, that I'm having this experience with Step Four. And I'd been living my life telling you that I'd had a vital spiritual experience, and I didn't know jack about it. because I hadn't done the deep dive. And I hadn't had people in my life willing to hold my feet to the fire the way that the program, the, 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 the sponsor that I have in OA did. I had a lot of other amends to me, uh, particularly one with my sister. My sister is is um, is somebody who, dropped me off at detox, she's been a lifelong member of Al-Anon, she's the only member of my family that doesn't suffer from addiction, but she suffers from, you know, being the only member of a family that doesn't suffer from addiction, she's in Al-Anon, she's a black belt, and she dropped me off to get sober in 2003, and then has to watch me nearly kill myself with food as a quote-unquote sober member of another fellowship. My sisters watched me nearly kill myself with addictive substances twice. So my
2: amends to her were a big deal. A big deal. Um, And I will say this, the only
5: thing, that I miss from my former eating life is a particular dessert that my sister used to make every Christmas. I'm not gonna talk about it too in too much detail. I don't want anybody, anybody to get triggered, but my sister makes this one dessert. And, and I gotta tell you, every time I go over there for Christmas, I gotta say a little prayer and make sure I talk to my sponsor because that's the one. There's still just a little bell that'll ring. That'll ah, you can get away with a little slice of it, and then I pray, make a call, do what I need to do, and it's—I'm half kidding about that, but it's—it's the—it's the one thing where I go, yeah, we didn't need to take that off the menu, did we? Um, amends, my sister, my family. I realized that I hadn't shown up in in significant ways. Although um, alcoholism killed my older brother, he died in my arms when I was seven years sober. I had uh, I had a big book in one hand and him in another. Um, and my response to to that event was to further separate myself from any idea of a higher power I had in my other fellowship and really start eating. Um, I would say that my eat my I really started to 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 eat really in a, in a pretty crazy way after that event. Um, step 10, 11, and 12 have been, for me, um, some of the most important um, revelations in my spiritual life. And I don't know if it's the repetition. I I can't put my finger on one thing. I wish I could, because I'd bottle it up and sell it to all of you and retire on a private island. What I can report to you is that the the consistent execution of the practices that are found in our literature have resulted in in an experience that I have difficulty putting words to, other than the, the fact that I have a meaningful, purposeful existence today. And that's not to say I don't struggle. Of course I do. I don't want to paint a picture that I'm some, you know, I mean, I can be bat shit crazy on any given day. Okay. Cause I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater, but I typically don't do a bunch of damage anymore with that. Right. I can experience it, but I don't have to act on it if that makes
2: any sense. Um,
5: And I have a variety of rich relationships. I get to do a fair amount of this. I got to travel to Georgia, um, uh, Jekyll Island, Georgia, for a big book study here uh, a couple of months back that was just awesome. I got to uh, I got to speak yesterday on the on the OA birthday party. I get to do a lot of, of talks and and in both my fellowships, I get to share my experience with with um, with this with this work and this spiritual life in a way. And, and and it's who I am. It's who I be. I've embraced the idea that this is my life. And most importantly, I get to carry the message to those who still suffer. I sponsor a bunch of guys in AA. And I sponsor three people over here in OE. And the only reason I only sponsor three people is because my sponsor puts a limit on it. She puts a cap on it at three. And the reason she does that is because I have a level of commitment in my professional life and in my other fellowship that's pretty significant. And I have family obligations and all the responsibilities that other people have. And she says, you know, you've got, I don't know. What what she's fond of telling me is is last time I checked, Patrick, you weren't God. So why don't you let me help you? God bless her. Um, I'm a bit of a knucklehead. I don't know if you can tell or not, but you know. Um, so steps 10, 11, and twelve, and and the I read that little piece from um, from our uh, from the from the Overeaters Anonymous twelve and twelve, and I really like that. Um, the first through the first, uh, the, on the first page, on page 83 of step 10 in, in uh, the Brown book. I don't know if you can see that, but the 12 steps and, and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. It says, through the first nine steps of our program, we have made a beginning on an entirely new way of life, one that is leading us out of the mire of compulsive eating onto the solid ground of sane eating and successful living. That's what I was just talking about this idea of successful living, right? They were primarily intended to help us clear up the accumulated debris of the past, action on these nine steps has also laid down patterns for us to follow in the future. Patterns which will enable us to thrive, grow spiritually, and be happy without excess food. Well, there's a, gee, whoa, that, ain't, whoa, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it?
2: Bring me some of that, please.
5: Step 10 calls for daily repetition of these actions, following the new patterns, so that we may experience recovery every day. The 10th step begins with the word continued, our first clue that perseverance is about to become a key aspect of our recovery program. Perseverance, what a gift. Right? Uh, in the past we may have clung stubbornly to self-destructive eating and other harmful behaviors Now we need to be now we will need to be stubborn about working our program even during those times when we feel it isn't working or we aren't recovering quickly enough. That piece of of, of this literature right there was really helpful for me because I'm a knucklehead I don't know if you've noticed I can be a little loud I can be a little pushy I can be a little of this I'm stubborn as a mule at times well, now I can apply that stubbornness to my program. I can, I can unequivocally not give up no matter what the situation is. I got put in a situation at work around a holiday party that I found to be very uncomfortable and honestly inconsiderate. I was able to voice my opinion about that very much so and, and extract myself in a dignified way without regard for how it made anybody feel, because I can't control how anybody else feels. The most arrogant thing I do is think you should change the way you feel so I feel better about myself. As a matter of fact, let me say that again. The most arrogant thing I do is believe that you should change so I feel better about myself. I'm in charge of who I am and how what I experience. Nobody else. me, God and the people I choose to invite into my life. I can invite you or uninvite you. Choices, freedom, freedom from the bondage of self. I like this uh, description at the bottom of the page on 84. In steps five through nine, we ventured outside our isolation to share ourselves in depth with our higher power and with other people. Most of us had spent our lives before OA trying to go it alone. And as we worked these steps, we learned how much healing and help there is in loving connections with a power greater than ourselves and with those who share our lives. We now want to continue strengthening these connections. And we have a way to do that through the practice of step 10. Then it goes into the description of how you can actually take inventory. I handwrite mine out four column like it is in the big book every night. And I don't, I tip, here's the good news about that. I don't have a lot usually. Every once in a while, I'll 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 bite down on a resentment and take it take it into the evening with me. Fears a fears one, especially during the pandemic. I'm a guy with about 18 pre-existing conditions that COVID would would hammer on. So the pandemic created a fair amount of fear for me, right? but I, I kept using these tools and I was able to find a way to operate and make money and do everything I needed to do, God provided, right? Um, there's a great description of why we do this on 87 in this step 10 description in the, in the Brown book. In taking daily inventory, we seek to become increasingly aware of our true motives and emotions. We seek to examine our actions so we can learn from our mistakes and build on our successes. Our purpose is not to stir up negative, negative feelings and guilt, but to continue along the path of progress to recognize those areas of our lives in which progress is being made. And in the 10-step in the instructions um, in, the, in the big book, you know, it says we take a constructive look at our inventory. We're not there to bash ourselves. I have a disease that creates selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty. I have a spiritual malady. This is the treatment for it. I'm not to condemn myself as a result of having that disease. I'm not a volunteer here. I didn't volunteer to be a member of two 12-step fellowships. If you'd have given me a choice when I was 13 years old or whatever, I'd have checked a couple of different boxes as far as life achievement goes. Thank you very little. Right. I mean, but here I am. Okay. Um, how much more time do I have after this?
2: Jan, I can't hear you. We're at 10 to the hour right now.
5: Okay, thank you. So um, and then what happens after this? Am I done or
0: no? Nope, you got another
6: hour.
5: Oh, a whole other hour. Wow. Okay um if if that doesn't work
6: for you if that doesn't work for you patrick you can always end early too so (laughs) well i
5: I think well just uh, we might do i listen the the problem i'm having is i've been listening to the sound of my own voice a lot this weekend because i did the talk yesterday too so it's just you know i gotta be careful with that um but i'm only on step 10 right now so we'll do 11 and 12 after the break and we'll go into the break here in a little bit, but I want to wrap up a little bit about step ten. Um, you know this, it, and this is a little bit in step nine, but it says, "Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. Um, the spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it." Um, then there's the promises in the Big Book. You know, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. There's that word again, vigorously. It's only used in two places in the big book, in front of the fourth step and in front of the 10th step. I'm pretty sure inventory is (laughs) important. And I'm pretty sure it's the most willfully disregarded step in our 12 step fellowships i watch it kill people all the time
2: what are you currently consciously willfully disregarding in your spiritual life that's a question that my sponsor asked me that one i you know, I'm still pissed off about that question. I'm joking, of course, but I had to take a look
5: because, and and, and she said, Patrick, there's a reason I'm asking you that question. I said, what is, what's the reason she said? Because half measures availed us nothing. If you're trying to do a workaround on any of this stuff, it's going to avail you nothing. If you've been struggling with your weight, if you've been struggling with your food, if you've been struggling with sustained abstinence, what needs to change? What have you been willfully resisting? consciously resisting that you know is effective for other people? If you don't feel spiritually connected, do you have a prayer and meditative life? You know, I always had a prayer life, but I wasn't big on meditation because I'm a guy who wants to sit, do three breathing meditations and be a guru. You know, I want to turn into a a, a Buddhist in three sessions. I want to levitate and, you know, I'm wired for instant gratification. Oh, I just did a mindful breathing session. I should be tick Not Hanh or something. Who, by the way, is one of my teachers now. Rest, God bless him. He's old and infirm, but there's an there's a, there's a app I use that I'm happy to share with anybody if they want to inquire with my contact information. Um, it's, a, it's decidedly Buddhist. Uh, but they've got some great guided meditations on there and I'm a guy that needs guided meditation. I need instruction. I needed an invitation to that. So before I get too deep into step eleven and twelve let's uh, let's take that break that we're that we're ready to have and come back at five o'clock and i'll do uh, I'll do some work around eleven and twelve and we might even get out of here a little early. <laughs>
6: Patrick would you before we before we break sure. would you Questions? mind um would you mind saying what was the what are you willfully what was it that you said that was very what are you question? will
5: consciously willfully disregarding okay thank you
2: that's a big one <laughs> resisting it is
5: because half measures availed us nothing right so what aspect of the steps what actions that are indicated in our literature because in the forward to the first edition in the big book they cover this right and it's in italics and i don't know i'm gonna i'll just do a brief history lesson here the italics in the big book are very important because when this book was printed they used handset leaded lead print and handset print was more expensive right and italics print was more italics was more expensive to use, so they used it very sparingly. Basically what my sp- my first AA sponsor told me, and he was an old timer, that his lineage could be traced to Dr. Bob. Um, he said that, Patrick, when they're using italics in the big book, they're yelling at you. They really want you to pay attention. So it says in, the, in that first paragraph in the forward to the first edition, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So, one of the things I'll ask people all the time is how precise are you being? Are you willy nilly? Are you being held accountable by the people in your life that are supposedly on the path with you? Or are you all signing off on each other's half measures availed us nothing? Are you signing off on bullshit behavior? That's why I need OA How because there's no room for that in how. And that I'm not promoting. I'm not. I'm just. I'm saying that's why I need it. I gotta have, man. You gotta. You gotta put the bumpers up on the, on the, uh, on the bowling alley for me, man. Or I'm in the gutter in no time. So, let's take a break. Five minutes, and I'll be back. Is that good?
0: Thank you, Patrick. Yeah.
5: On the hour. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody new has joined us. Um, my name's Patrick, I'm a Compulsive reader uh, So we've covered how I got to OA
2: um, and
5: my spiritual journey in OA which, by the way, was informed greatly by my previous experience in AA and continues to, now it's just this spiritual life that I lead as a member of two fellowships. It's not separate. I have a spiritual life as a result of the 12 steps. Um,
2: But I'm gonna read that forward to
5: the first edition that whole first paragraph. Uh, we have Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think these, this account of our experience will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person and I would propose to you that the one who the one who least comprehended how much trouble I was in with compulsive overeating was me. Is it possible that your current assessment of your condition is incorrect?
2: I'll ask the question in a different way. Is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Um, My step 11
5: experience was. one of giving it lip service basically for a lot of years in that other in in my other fellowship um and i I gave it lip service for a period of time in a way too and i think that's part of why i relapsed in the hospital um you know i had sort of a an occasional prayer life um but i i didn't have a consistent practice Um, and I was dishonest with my sponsor about that, and how. Um, and I was dishonest with myself, honestly.
2: And here's what. Here,
5: here's the piece of the step that I rarely wanted to employ. Step eleven says: sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I'm a guy that wants to be able to have my cake and eat it too. I want to be able to do certain things, selfish, dishonest things, and still say relatively sane and sober and abstinent and have a good, right? Right. I will do things that are clearly not God's will for me, like avoid being of service, right? Like avoid um, the more uncomfortable aspects of the program, like avoid a difficult amend, like avoid taking an inventory,
2: right? Resist, consciously, willfully
5: resist. And then expect to have a, a, a full-fledged relationship with this power. I've turned my life and my will over to the care of this power in step three. And here's an interesting thing I hear people in recovery fellowships say all the time, and it's never made any sense to me. Well, I guess I never gave it any thought until I had this experience that I had in OA. I hear people say all the time, I took my will back. Really, So you turned your life and your will over to this power and it's just going to give it back? Maybe the discomfort and, and resistance that you're experiencing is the fact that you don't get your will back and you're resisting God's will for you
2: and that's why it sucks. Whoa, wait a minute. Again, who's the
5: problem there? Turns out it's Patrick, not God. I wasn't doing the things I needed to do. I wasn't following the directions I had been given by the, by, the, by the literature. I wasn't being as precise as I could. And I'm not saying you gotta do this perfectly. I'm just saying, are you attempting to do your best? Are you being honest with your effort, your commitment, your discipline, your willingness, and your accountability? Because I think one of the things that goes away real quick and and as soon as I start feeling better and looking better and doing whatever is the accountability goes out the window. I'm no longer accountable to this, to this God of my understanding, I'm no longer accountable to these practices, and I sure as hell ain't going to be accountable to you because really what I want to do with you is look good, not be good. I want to be a big shot in the fellowship. I want to get to podiums. I like to travel and speak. All of which I got to do on that, in that, that other fellowship. And I was actually flying around the country going to podiums talking about a bunch of crap I wasn't doing. I was full of shit. And I was leading people down pathways that may or may not have been, I you know I don't I try not to read too much into that. I really don't. People tell me they got help I sponsored a lot of men whose lives got better in AA, but I can tell you that I wasn't practicing these principles in all of my affairs and there's a price to pay for that. Other people paid a price and so did I. The first paragraph in, um, again, that 12, the Brown 12 and 12, when we began attending meetings of Overeaters Anonymous, most of us were attracted by the unconditional acceptance we experienced here, a love which has continued to sustain us as we've worked the steps and faced the changes that have come about in our lives as a result. Now, as we encounter step 11, we are challenged, very specific language, we are challenged to seek out more direct conscious contact with the ultimate source of that life-changing love. In OA, we share a belief that can, we, we can each recover through a spiritual relationship with a power which is greater than ourselves alone. While based on this shared belief, our program does not promote or favor any particular concept of the exact nature of this power. In OA meetings, we often hear the power source called my higher power or more succinctly HP. This can be disconcerting to newcomers, but for those who've been around long enough to work the first 10 steps, the term higher power signals a freedom we've come to appreciate and even treasure the freedom to encounter this healing force directly and express our beliefs however we choose. People ask me all the time, what's your definition of a higher power? And I, I call it, I, I tell them it's a rodeo clown. Now I do this for a purpose and it's, because I like to take people on kind of a walk down this path. But I say it's a rodeo clown. Why is it a rodeo clown? Well, if you know anything about a rodeo, when the guys get on the bull, there's two guys out in the in the in the actual bull ring who They're there to entertain between rides. They do silly stuff. They play music. They'll do a bunch of stuff. They're dressed up like clowns. They're actually clowns, but what they actually are is very highly skilled bull wranglers, right? They're very athletic. They're very both, they're, they're, they're very highly skilled. So when the rider gets thrown off the bull, they're there to protect that rider, get them up, get them out of there. And distract the bull so the bull doesn't hurt them or the rider, the bull rider. Make
2: sense? So they're there to entertain, watch over, and protect.
5: And my God, if nothing else, has certainly been entertaining. And he's protected me from a lot, if I really look at it.
2: And he's always watching over me.
5: You see that, so you can make it anything, right? It doesn't have to be this deep religious thing, because, like I said, I had this theological prejudice when I came into twelve-step fellowships, which I still got to be careful with. I do have a faith-based idea now. Um, I have a practice. It's sort of, it's 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 sort of an Eastern. There's a, it, I don't know, I'm. I It depends on what day it is, but I've adopted a lot of stuff, and I use a lot of outside material, which I know I'm not supposed to reference, but if you're curious, give me a call or send me an email, I'll be happy to share the stuff I use. Some of it is based on the good things that I was taught when I was young, and some of it's been a path that I've developed since I got into 12-step recovery. A lot of it's Eastern. But when it came to meditation, I was because like I said, I'm, I'm this guy that wants this, right? So I have a meditative practice. And, and so here's what my mornings look like. And this is where it gets a little dicey because this ain't in the big book, or this isn't in the, in the, in the OA literature. Well, if, if If you're going to have a practice, you're going to need to have time to do it. And if you're going to need to have time to do it, you're going to have to have some discipline. And if you got a busy life like I do, that means you're going to have to get your ass out of bed at 4.30 a.m., seven days a week. That's what I do. 4.30 a.m., seven days a week without fail. And here's the good news. I love doing it. At first, when I began this a a few years back, it was hard to do it seven days a week. Wasn't so hard during the work week, but on the weekends, I like to sleep in. Now I do it seven days a week. And the reason I do it is because it gives me this window of time for me and my HP to really connect. There's, a, there's some instructions in the book when we retire at night, we, 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 we review our day. I don't do that before bed. I do that after all my day's activities are over because if you ask me to do that right before I go to bed, what I you know what I wanna do when I go to bed? When I, right before I wanna go, to, I wanna go to bed. I wanna go to sleep. So I do it like if I finish my dinner dishes and I'm, we're gonna sit down and watch a show or something, I take a 15 or 20 minute to do the when we retire at night instructions out of the big book. I do it before bedtime. I do it when I'm about to engage in my leisure time. That's just just my personal practice, doesn't have to be yours, works for me, right? But my morning routine is really consistent, committed, effortful, disciplined, and productive. That's what I will report to you. Um, I do sitting guided meditations. I do a bunch of different ones. I've got like two or three different apps. I've got tapes. I need I, I do good with guided meditations that have windows of space, silent space in them. So they'll lead you in, then there's a space and then they'll lead you out. I've been able to find a bunch of them. Um, there's a lot of apps. Um, I have a recommendation if you've had trouble seeking out or, or, or developing a meditation life, seek out a teacher. That's what I was instructed to do. It's been very helpful. Turns out there's, there's, there's um, faith traditions that have been implementing meditation for 40,000 years on this flying rock. They might know what they're talking about. You might wanna go share them. I spent time with Benedictine monks. i have spent time with Buddhists. I spent time with 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 um, Hindus. I spent time with a bunch of people. And I've amalgamated my own practice from all of that. I'm not endorsing or not endorsing any of it. I'm saying, are you willing to do sitting breathing meditation? Because just quiet time in your monkey mind,
2: is it really quiet?
5: Or are you shooting like well like I like to say the backup prayer you get in the car, you're back in the car out of the garage for the day and hey God, help me out here. I believe I live in unfettered grace every day and whether I pray or not or whether I meditate or not, I live in that unfettered grace. I believe that. But if I want to honor that grace, And if I want to hear what I need to hear, if I want the guidance that I'm seeking from this power, I might have to spend some time listening and not just requesting. The God of my understanding is not a vending machine. I don't get to jam a bunch of prayers in the top and get what I want out of the bottom. And when I meditate, sometimes I hear things that I don't want to hear, but that I know are real and true for me to implement in my life. I have an experience.
2: not an opinion. And I get to run that through other
5: people who do this work, who hold me accountable to taking the actions that are indicated in my life to continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness so that I can get set up for step 12, which is the most important part, because it turns out that there are millions of people out there suffering from our disease. What are you doing to help them today? Y'all are on this, you're on, you're being of service to 15 other people. Each one of you individuals is being of of service to 15 other people by being on this meeting. And I wish all of you would turn on your cameras just so I could see you briefly. I'm looking at blank screens and I had one of my, uh, one of my, uh, one of my speaker friends likes to, likes to claim that, um, leaving your camera off on a zoom meeting is like going to a live meeting and putting your ear to the door on the outside. Just something I like. To, so just something I like to share. Um, thank you all of you for doing that. It's nice to see your smiling faces. Um, but it, it really is, um, you know, it really is an effective practice for me to get up early and to have this time, and I will use different kinds of literature. There's somebody in the waiting room, Jan. I, I, yep, somebody came into the waiting room.
2: Um, so uh,
5: I'm able to um, utilize many different kinds of literature and many different kinds of um, prayers, um, and readings. I I try to stick to, for my daily readers, I try to stick to um, AA and OA literature. Uh, I do delve into a little bit of Al-Anon. Those folks have got a lot of really uh, important stuff for a guy like me that was raised in an alcoholic home. You know, I'm probably a candidate for that fellowship, too. Um, But... You know, I, I've done pretty well in my relationships. I, I haven't really, a need hasn't arrived. I haven't had a bottom with it. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I, I find the literature in, in most 12 steps fellowships to be helpful. Um, and I conclude my practice um, each morning Uh, with that meditation session so it can last anywhere for me I don't set a timer I don't use a timer I don't have any rigidity around my meditation Um, I say my prayers I do my readings I'll sit in the quiet but then I actually go into this meditative practice I have it's a mindful breathing practice and it can go anywhere from typically between seven to 20 minutes I had a session last week that lasted 31 minutes and that'll happen occasionally where it goes really long where I'm really in deep but the average I would say is between 12 and 20 minutes for me where I'm in a real meditative state and then I get up I I come out of that and I take I take a minute and then I go about my business during the day but that means that I've had from the time I get up to the time I leave the house is typically about during a work week is typically about two hours. And I don't I don't work from home. I my job requires I work with the homeless, the, the severely persistently mentally ill homeless community in, in Minneapolis. So my job requires I'm out in the world because they're out in the world. They're out sleeping on concrete um, and behind the dumpsters and and you know so I gotta be out there. Um, and I had to be out there during the
2: pandemic. And I had to be out there
5: during the riots. And I had to be out there during all that strife. And what do you think? Where do you think I drew that strength? Where do you think the courage came from? Because you lead me to my own devices. I run like a scalded dog from any of that responsibility. But I had a team out there, and I needed to be out there with my team. right? I live in, I, I live in a suburb of Minneapolis. But at the time that the riots were happening, I was living in that neighborhood. That neighborhood that burned on television with the big red liquor store in the third precinct, I lived in that neighborhood
2: for 29 years.
5: So if you're doubting what this power can allow you to do as an abstinent member of Overeaters Anonymous, I'm a living, breathing, walking, talking example of that power. And I don't mean just weight loss. I mean, the way it's allowed me to live my life with dignity, responsibility, integrity, love, compassion, understanding, forgiveness, willingness, kindness. And I'm far from perfect. Just talk to my sponsor, she'll tell you. But she'll tell you in a way that brings a little twinkle to her eye and says, he's making progress. Because that's what the book says. We make progress, not perfection. And we grow in understanding and effectiveness. And why do we grow in understanding and effectiveness? Well, so that we can work with others. And why is that important? Because practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow about you, to have a host of friends. This is an
2: experience you must not miss. And... Damn, I'm glad I didn't miss it.
5: Frequent contact, we know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. You guys are the bright spot of my life, oddly enough. Bunch of knuckleheads. It's true, it's absolutely the truth. Even on Hollywood Squares here, It's still a bright spot of my life. Um, My experience with step 12 has been, I was always willing to help others. I I took to that like a fish to water in in my other fellowship. Uh, And I did a pretty good job of sponsoring people because I stuck to this text. I'd take them through the big book. They'd have an experience with the God of their understanding. And it turns out I'm not responsible for somebody staying sober or getting drunk. Um, Or... I'm not responsible for anybody's abstinence or their overeating. I'm responsible for giving them my experience, strength, and hope. And I was able to do that even as full of BS as I was in that other fellowship because I was eating myself into oblivion. I believe God was using me just the way he intended to use me. I believe currently my experience is this. my, My belief system is this around this. Every single moment of my life has been predestined by God to put me in this moment with you right here, right now, as it is, and I'm in complete acceptance of it. I no longer reject the idea that I shouldn't be who I am. The most arrogant thing I do to the God of my understanding is say, well, I shouldn't have this disease. Why not? Maybe he needed a soldier. Maybe he needed somebody that could carry the message to other people who suffer from this disease. Is it possible that you're just being asked to be placed in a position to be of service to his kids? Maybe this ain't you. Maybe the mistake is you're taking it personally. And maybe the mistake is that that, that what you're really being given is, is the ability to have an experience that can help save another person's life.
2: And allow them to be a mother, a brother, a sister, a, a father, a husband, a wife, a
5: better son, a better brother, a better sister, a better daughter, a better niece, a better nephew, a better uncle, a better granduncle. Because guess what? I get to be all those things as a result of what you guys have helped me do. Because you were willing to practice these principles in all your affairs. And you were willing to set up Zoom meetings when the shit hit the fan and the world went upside down and all our face-to-face meetings went to hell. Some people question me sometimes about why I'm as forceful with the, the program as I am. I watched my father die of alcoholism, even though I was grateful that that happened at the time. Um, it still was a pretty miserable experience. And at seven years sober, my brother died of, this, of, of alcoholism. I have buried three members of Overeaters Anonymous in my short tenure here who died of this illness. I've 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 buried one of them was a sponsee in this fellowship and I've buried sponsees in my other fellowship addictive illness kills that's why I'm forceful with it it says this in the big book of alcoholics anonymous about why we challenge each other and hold each other accountable to the spiritual program of action it says if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic if you're a real compulsive overeater begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show them from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink or bite, in our case, prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book as less he has seen it. And then it says in the next paragraph, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. You know, I I arrested my drinking and, and picked up the donuts and pizza, and ice cream. I was still suffering from the spiritual malady. I just began to treat it with a different substance. And that substance had always been present in my life, but it was easy to sort of put in the background. Because when you're monkey drunk for 31 years, like I was, Patrick's got a drinking problem. The food, eh, it's no big deal. But then I put on 170 pounds or uh, 150
2: pounds after a triple bypass. Sober
5: quote unquote sober. Well, what is sober about putting on 150 pounds when you're not drinking as a member of a 12-step fellowship? What's sober about that? I was in way more trouble than I thought I was around compulsive overeating. And you guys helped me dig my way out of it. Because you spoke of this as a malady. The, the, the people I fell in with at the beginning of my OA abstinence were serious folks. No BS. No BS. Accountability at a high level, at an uncomfortable level, at a disturbing level. And in a, in a loving and kind and compassionate way. But this disease is relentless. This idea that we're going to pat each other on the back and tell each other it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay because you pull the food out of me. What happens to me is I get worse. I don't get better because I'm not overeating. I get worse because I have a spiritual malady. Restless, irritable, and discontent shows up.
2: The bedevilments on page 52 that I read earlier, that's what happens to me.
5: I will say this, that the thing I struggle with with the most in, in Step 12 is practicing these principles in all my affairs. How can I be compassionate and be of service to people I don't agree with? Well, I can tell you what it's resulted in my life. I don't have any presence on social media. I just don't. I do not consume television anymore. I will watch the occasional DVD, but I don't consume news anymore because my book says I can't afford the resentment. And they're trying to split us. They're trying to get us to resent each other. And I'm just not going to go for it. It doesn't mean I agree with everybody. It means I've reached a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I simply don't have an opinion on outside issues. I just don't, they're not pertinent to me. I go about my business, I live my life, I do my duty. I'm a good citizen. I contribute to society in the ways that I find meaningful, rewarding, and productive. And that for me, that's the homeless community and always has been. I've been doing that work since I I got into recovery 18 years ago, but I became a hell of a lot better homeless services worker when when I met you guys in no way because I wasn't physically challenged I can do things now in a physical sense if I got to go into a camp where there's a bunch of people shooting fentanyl out in the woods in a tent and they're all dying and I got to go dig them out with my team I can get to them now I used to have to send the team in and sit in my front seat of my car and hope for the best and now I can truck in there with now I can fly to to leadership conferences and contribute my expertise in my professional area because I'm not afraid to get on an airplane. Because I'm not that guy that comes down the aisle anymore, where they go, everybody's looking at, going, "Oh, don't sit next to me." I got to re-engage my, you know, as a result of working these steps and having this vital spiritual experience and and being willing to carry the message. I get to go to concerts all over the country now again, because A, I have the funds to do so, and B, I can fit in a a theater seat. Live music's an important spiritual thing for me.
2: Very important. And I've re-engaged in that practice because you guys helped me get there.
5: Right. And I'm careful. I know we got COVID. But one of the and, and that's one of the reasons that that I, I needed to, to separate myself from from social media and stuff because what was happening in my life, again, I said I wasn't perfect. I'm not the guru you think I am. Wink wink. I was watching COVID. I was watching the spiritual malady that we suffer from in Overeaters Anonymous use COVID to kill people with the compulsive overeating. The outside issue stuff. In other words, our disease will use another disease to 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 use our disease to kill us. Well, I can't go to that meeting because. All of a sudden, people are separated. Well, I don't don't agree with this political thing, or I don't agree with this medical thing, or boop, ba-bop, ba-beep, ba-boop, and boom, we got people going out all over. It's the darkness. It's the spiritual malady, resentment, fear, dishonesty, and selfishness.
2: I resigned from the debating society. Thank God. Um,
5: And the greatest thing I get to do is I get to pick up the phone three times every day and listen to three sponsees and Overeaters Anonymous report their food to me, report their daily assignment to me, and report their Step 10 and 11 practice, and then we discuss how they're doing with their sponsees. I take a 15-minute call from each of my sponsees on a daily basis, and then more if needed. I do that every day. What a gift! From sitting at a at the 2015 International Alcoholics Anonymous Convention at 400 pounds, unable to walk more than 500 feet, and one of you who I had one of you who I had a relationship with, who I didn't know was a member of OA, I'd always assumed that she was a member of AA and her husband saw me there and came up and we'd been acquaintances from other conferences and and she looked at at her husband and said to me
2: this woman right here
5: and she said to me she looked at him and said alan go get us some coffee well we don't need coffee we just have, she said alan go get me some
2: coffee And he, oh, okay. And I'm sitting on that bench,
5: and she says, "Patrick, how are you doing? Fine. I'm doing fine. Isn't the isn't the convention great? I'm I'm that guy. I'm that defensive. i And she said it again. She said, "No, how are you really doing?" And I said, "I'm fine, Diane.
2: I how, are you, how are you doing?" And she looked at me and she said, Patrick, you're full of shit. You're dying.
5: And you're doing things with food you don't understand. And I'm a responsible, recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous. And I won't sleep tonight unless I tell you how I recovered in that fellowship, if you'll hear me out.
2: So if you think
5: you're jacked up, I got 12-stepped into another 12-step fellowship at twelve 12-st- international 12-step convention.
2: Think about that for a minute.
5: That wasn't on my list of accomplishments when I was 14 years old, I can tell you that. But what a gift, the courage she had to confront me. And I, I'd always assumed she was a member of AA because I'd seen them at these conferences before right? And they happen to live in Atlanta. So when I knew I was going to that convention, I called them up. I said, hey, you know, let's, let's get together. Let's have, you know, let's have a meal, which was, by the way, what we had done in that first picture. And I'm stoned on food in that first picture, in the fat picture. And in the second picture, I'm in the midst of a spiritual experience with my friends. That's a better deal than I signed up for here. And I'm really grateful that uh, I found you all. Uh, And I hope that my service here has been of of some help. I'm happy to open it up to questions or comments or, or whatever for the rest of the time. But I think that's about all I've got for now.
2: Thank you, Patrick. And I would imagine just general comments would be all right, too.
5: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, comments, shares, questions, whatever.
2: Nobody? Oh, here we go. Hi, Maggie. I'll unmute you.
4: Go ahead. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, and I want to say thank you, Patrick. That was amazing. Um, and I am not only very glad to have join this meeting today, but I am really glad that it was recorded because there was more than I could possibly write down. And um, yeah, I think that's really—I'm full of questions and comments, but I'm kind of scattered. I have to admit.
5: Maggie, my contact stuff is in the um, is in the in the chat. If you write write it down, I'm happy to put sure. it in. And just send me an email or a text or give me a call. If if you don't get me on the call, leave a voicemail and I'll get back to you. I'm good about that. So
4: thank you. It's already on my phone.
5: Awesome. So I will. I will Great. definitely be in touch. Good. Thank
4: you so much.
2: And yeah, when the questions
5: pop be- up, yeah, happy to happy to have a conversation. Thank you.
2: Um, hi friends. I'm Sherry.
6: Sorry, I'm just managing the uh, spotlights here.
5: So there's a couple of people who put their physically or putting their hand up I think Beverly and Marina.
6: Oh yeah and I beat them all to it so I'm jumping in. Yeah. <laughs> I just lowered my hand. I just wanted to say uh, I mean I don't even know what questions I have. I thank you so much Patrick that the information you shared about your dad was just like so eye-opening for me. I wrote so much down um, I, I am in, uh, adult children of alcoholics as well. And so I've been doing a lot of work in that program. Um, but, and so you've just given me so much more that I know will help. Um, because my food is so intertwined with all of that. Exactly. Like you, you shared It's the one main thing that it's the constant of my entire life has been my relationship with my father and how it has affected me. So Thank you so, so much for sharing your experience with that. I really appreciate it. And I will, where I started to talk, I will remove myself and uh, Audrey, you're able to unmute yourself. So go ahead.
7: Hi, I'm Audrey. I think Beverly's hand was up before mine. So Beverly- okay, my apologies.
6: My apologies, Audrey, we'll get Beverly after you, so go ahead.
7: Um, my name's Audrey, I'm a food addict. Patrick, thank you so much. Oh, I'm trying hard not to cry. It's
5: okay to cry.
7: I know, but if I keep crying, you won't be able to hear me. (laughs) Um, Oh, I also had an alcoholic father, um, And gratefully, I gave him my amends on his deathbed. Um, But listening to you today, I realized that there is a bit more work that I could do. Um, And I will speak with my sponsors about it. Um, Thank you so much. I've come to a number of these speaker sessions. Three hours has never passed by so fast. So thank you so much. It was amazing. And uh, thank you for sharing yourself.
5: You're welcome.
6: And I know there's Janet and Marina. Um, sorry, was Beverly,
8: Beverly, did you? Uh, just a quick comment, uh, a couple of them. Um, you said that uh, you lived a double life, you know, pretend you're okay and overeat, you know, uh, as soon as you get off. And I really appreciate that because that described me for quite a few years. Uh, I was just sort of bullshitting, you know. it. it uh, mm-hmm. And at the time, I was quite okay with that. <laughs> I'm not so okay with that now. And the other thing that struck me, I have an opinion about experience I haven't had yet. Um, yeah. I've actually found a lot for a while there I was thinking about uh, what I don't like about the program, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, that held me back as well, just sort of like the word abstinence and on and on and on and on and on, on, finding out what I didn't like about it versus what was working for me. And I'm, you know, past that now, thank, thank heavens, but it's taken me a very long time. Um, so, anyways,
9: uh,
8: I had appreciate very much what you had to say, Patrick, and I like your style as well. It um, really—I've uh, got lots of notes here,
5: so thank you. Okay. Thank you, Beverly. You're welcome.
6: Okay, Janet, go ahead.
1: I'm Janet, a compulsive overeater. I'm also a grateful member of Al-Anon. Thank you so much, uh, Patrick, for your talk I got so much out of it even though uh next month will be 30 years in Al-Anon and in march 30 years in away you know I have not graduated yeah I've kept 100 pounds off you know for for 28 years of it I mean there's things I haven't touched but I found myself a while back kind of floundering and like when I get like that something's wrong some something's missing and when you were talking about that spirituality and also um, a sponsor, I had had uh, passed away and I had, you know, started giving my food to somebody else, but never really got another sponsor. But I yeah. I, I had never really worked with a big book. My meetings had been always OA literature, which I love. I think that first step in the OA 12 and 12, it's like, how did they know me? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, through. Um but I, I did find, you know, it's so many of the Zoom meetings I go and they talk so much about the AA literature, I, I did um, approach somebody who's also uh, in this program, and we are working through the big book together. Mm-hmm. And I had somebody approach me, um, too, that had become kind of friends in, the, in a, a face-to-face meeting and said, you know, because I don't really call people, so well, I'll be part of your calling say why don't we set a time every Thursday morning to call and you know what that's been so helpful so I think it has been a combination of lack of spirituality lack of connection it's easy with the bigs I tend to go to the big zoom meetings it's easy to kind of stay at the you know and not share think oh after all these years I should be able to handle this and that you know I work a strong program blah 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 well, I have not graduated yet. You know, I never will. I still need people. I still need to share. I still need to remember that a problem shared is cut in half and, you know, all the sayings. But I really appreciated your, your nuts and bolts approach. You know, you just kind of get down to the basics of it. And um, I also appreciated what you said about kind of investigating the person people were before We knew them, you know, that that they're human beings, you know, that have been hurt, that have been struggling. And uh, I used to spend a lot of time condemning. I don't so anymore, you know, but so much anymore. But I I agree, you know, even with my own kids or whatever that struggle with mental illnesses and addictions, you know, they're they're lovely human beings, but they're sick human beings. And to remember, so am I. And who am I to judge? And I'll pass with that. Thank you again. I got so much out of it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, I do plan to contact you about being able to um, listen to the recorded thing, if that's sure. okay. All right. Yep. Thank you. Okay.
6: Um, Marina, go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Marina. I'm a compulsive overeater and
7: a sugar addict. Patrick, you were wonderful, I just learned so much from, I heard you yesterday on the birthday party, and then when I saw you today, I go, yay, I can get some more knowledge, <laughs> and, and hope, and hope, and wisdom, um, I'm, I've am i been off sugar for almost three weeks, and it's just been really difficult, I've been in Oasis 89, and I've never really been able to just stay off for a long period of time, but um, this time, it, it's, it's really, it's really going to happen because I feel it. Um, I feel so much better. I'm like a different person when I'm on sugar. Yep. But you know what? I was listening to I didn't hear the, the first part, but I got under about 5 o'clock. And then I heard you um, talking about the 10th step. And I got my attention because I didn't realize why I was so irritable, discontent, and just a mess. But something happened last night. And I didn't didn't do a ten step on it, and so what you encouraged me, I called like four people during the break, didn't reach anybody. So I thought, okay, I'll just come back and listen to more of you to get you know hear some more. Nobody has called me back except I did get a text from my sponsor, and and after this is over, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a ten step with her. But it is so important this ten step because. I, I just don't like the anger that I feel no. and, and, the, and the feeling of discontent and that I, I need to do a 10th step. So I just appreciate all that you shared. Um, I wrote your number down yesterday because I'm going to call you sometime. I really, really, yeah. really, really appreciate all that happy you time. Happy to talk. Okay, Patrick. Thank you so much again. You're welcome.
6: Okay, and uh, Reva or Reva, pardon me,
9: <laughs> go ahead. Hi, thank you so much. I'm My name is Reva and I am a compulsive overeater from Providence, Rhode Island. Um, thank you very much for this event, Oway Rise. And Patrick, it was just, I don't have anything specific I wanted to say, but um, you just blew me away. And I'm so grateful. Thank Thank you, God, I've been in program um, about 28 years, and I've been abstinent almost that m- amount of time. And I was really struck. And that's one day at a time, only by the grace of my higher power, believe me, it's not uh, me, 10% remember me. That. <laughs> um, and I was really struck by many things you said, I was struck by your statement about don't confuse the amount of time you've been in with the amount of recovery you have thanks be to god i do have a lot of recovery but i could have more because there's stuff i still won't surrender i don't mean the food well in a sense i do my food is everything i eat on my food plan but the couple of things i enjoy that aren't very nutritious they're low cal they're low fat no fat um they're not off my food plan and my sponsor knows all about it but i kind of rely on them a little too much within the parameters of my weighed and measured food plan. Um, And um, I have not been able to surrender my sort of, I don't know what, a compulsion to stay up late, (laughs) and especially since I retired. Um, And that, I, I don't expect to ever be able to get up at 4.30, but I could be getting up earlier than I am to have more time, and I've been very reluctant um, to develop a consistent meditation practice and prayer practice. I've tried a number of times over the years, and uh, I always do feel better when I work at it. But sometimes long periods of time go by when I have not worked at it, and I'm in one of those periods now. So um, I'm not I'm not bragging about that. I'm just uh, yeah. I'm telling you where it's at, and I really appreciated. Every everything that I heard you say and um as someone else referred to when you spoke of your father and your experiences with him and your dealing with investigating his past, that was um it was so moving. It was so real and raw. And I really am grateful to you. I, I've been here the whole three hours and as it, it flew by, it was just wonderful. Thank you very much and God bless.
5: You're welcome, Reva. Thank
2: you. We have time maybe for one more. Is there anybody else who wanted to jump in? Okay, I'll turn the spotlighting and everything back to Jan and Bab- I was muted. There's
7: a cat visiting me. It's throwing me off. Um, thank you so much, Patrick,
0: for being our speaker today. It was wonderful to have you here. And we appreciate your sharing your experience, strength, and hope. While giving service to the OA program, together we get better. Off goes the cat. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA RISE's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service office. We will post the Seventh Tradition contribution information one more time in the chat. Please give what you are are able so we can continue to keep OA RISE going. Lastly, OARISE continues to look for members uh, who are willing to give service to the meeting. We are always looking for speakers or perhaps speaker suggestions, as well as members who would be interested in joining our committee and who who could volunteer once a month or however their schedule works uh, to help run the Zoom meeting. No previous Zoom experience is necessary. Uh, We'll train you. If you are willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat for about four minutes (laughs) Uh, and you can all unmute yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. Uh, I have posted a couple of times Patrick's info in the chat. So if you didn't, if you aren't able to see it, let me know and I'll send it to you again. Please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength and hope at our next speaker meeting on February 6th, is it? Whatever, yeah, February 6th. Where our topic will be, oh, good Lord, I don't know.
5: Where our topic will be. That's an interesting topic. Yes. Oh, good Lord, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, come
0: on, I saw it. There we go. When it will be replacing stinking thinking with program speak. We hope to see you all there. Would all those who wish please join me in the Serenity Prayer? You can unmute yourselves
5: too. God, Bad, grant I me the, the serenity
7: to accept, to
5: accept the, the things, things I, I cannot
7: can change, courage to change the
5: things, change things, things I can, and, and, and no wisdom to know the difference. Coming back. Amen. Thank you all. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate the
2: opportunity. Bye bye.